And we are here on the pre-show. Hey! Took a week off last week. I was camping. Didn't get around doing it like on Memorial Day night or anything like that. That just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So we are doing it Sunday night after I pushed Greg at night because the penguins were on. And uh, I said <laughs> to Greg, turns out in hindsight it would have been an okay <laughs> penguin game to miss. And he said, what, you only care about the wins? And no, it's not like I only care about the wins, but... Well, you only care about the wins. Uh, no. <laughs> but, the, I don't know. The game was not an entertaining watch. Mm. Um, Nashville was pretty dominating after the first period. Um, the Penguins didn't play all that great. It seems like one game every series so far, the Penguins have shit their pants. So hopefully this is the one and only for this series. We'll see how they come back on tomorrow night. Um, everyone was talking, like all the media people were talking about like how loud and how tough it is to play in Nashville at their arena. We had this one just recently. And, um, I don't know, either they got the Penguins heads or it really was that loud and that tough to play in Nashville. Um, I give it to them. They have some, they, they do coordinated chanting like a soccer crowd does. So, like, long chance, not just like, let's go, Pens, mm-hmm. or Cross B sucks. You know, it's. Well, it's a very musical city. So, yeah. <laughs> they got their shit together. <laughs> um, so, I'd like to hear about your camping trip, but uh, first I will tell you about my uh, new doohickey. Okay. I uh, bought and built a new uh, computer. Oh, yeah? A VR machine. Okay. So, so the VR, is it an Oculus or is it something else? It is an Oculus. Okay. Uh, is it the same as that dev kit that you had before? No, no, no. Is this, is the new, this is the uh, the commercial. Okay. See, I didn't. I don't know. Yeah. But it's better than the one you had before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it also has touch controllers, and I got an uh, extra sensor so you can do room scale, which is where you can walk around. Oh, okay. So it... it Maps your motion to in-game motion. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you cool. you explore a, a space instead of simply mm-hmm. being your desk, right? Uh, you know, that's cool. It's it's very cool. So let me get the stats on on my uh, on my machine. And I should have had them. I should have had them ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you were doing your research, what did you use? Because I know that like on. Uh, the new screensavers, you know, one of the twit things, like last year they built the ultimate VR gaming machine. Oh. But I think it was like a $20,000 machine that they built. Yeah, no, I didn't. Uh... <laughs> I know you didn't build a $20,000 machine. It might not have been that expensive, but it was like well over seven, eight grand for their machine. All things considered, the machine cost, and the machine and the VR uh, together, and the extra accoutrement I, I purchased around mm-hmm. two thousand. Okay. Let's see here. The um, the tool I used to determine the best material, and I will show you once I get it up and somewhere in here. Okay. The tool I use is a very uh, nice tool called Damien Hasek. <laughs> he's very thorough i would i would presume in this kind of yes he task. he does his research he knows he knows what's going on he uh does he use this uh site called pc part picker to uh develop the um 
the, the parts that would be needed just for the for mm-hmm. the machine itself. Right. So the first thing is the other thing about about the the kit that I want is I want it to be reasonably portable. Because one of the things you want to, I, mean, I want to share this VR stuff, right. so it's not have to you know have everyone come to my place to do it. I can bring it to other people. Mm-hmm. So part of it was getting this sort of mini ITX case, which is uh, it's not too big. It's, it's it's it looks kind of like the old Mac Pro case, right? The um, you know when the Mac yeah. before it was a cylinder when it was a big you know this one's smaller but it has like kind of the handles on top and it's, on bottom. It's roughly the same size as your brother printer, but turned sure uh, okay you know on its side. Uh, so it's, it's to for 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 everyone who's listening twenty by twenty yeah something. by nine something like that. Those are those would be inches, I guess. Yeah. Um. Okay, actually, here we have. Uh, Dimensions nine by fifteen by fourteen. Okay. So yeah, smaller than that printer then. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Um. So that's the case, and then the the motherboard is this mini uh, this mini ATX motherboard. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, it has one PCI slot. <laughs> it's just there for a video card. Um, and then the other stuff that, that is is nice is okay. So as an i five uh, quad core, there really wasn't any reason to go to i seven. Okay. Um, the memory is uh, sixteen gigabytes of Corsair Vengeance sixteen gig DDR four. Decent. Uh, the video card is a GTX ten sixty. Not the super best thing, but certainly good enough. Definitely powerful. Uh, 520 watt power supply, and then the hard drive is right here. We have this is the 250 gig. I got the 500 gig version. Uh, M2 solid oh, state. M2. Nice. So there's no drive. I mean, there's no SSD or it, I mean, that is an SSD, but it's yeah. it, there's no SATA. Connection yeah, it has a much faster interface. Yeah. So your loading times are going to be, in, you know, as good as you can get. Yeah, and. Um, and the Oculus stuff together, everything ultimately was. So this is this is about, you know, it's eight hundred with after. So how does the Oculus everything. interface with computers? USB three or it's USB three. Okay. Um. Uh, so the other things I got were Amazon. Give me all the little tools. I think I have my orders here. <laughs> I got a lot. Some of some of it I can return because some of these extra cables I didn't need and I don't need. But I got a little twelve uh, inch uh, monitor just so I could have a, a little portable thing. It's actually mm-hmm. really nice. It's hundred okay. bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, bunch of cable ties just so I could have them. Uh, it, always good to have a wired keyboard, or an extra cut wired keyboard around. I got the cheapest one, but I also have, I have a, a Bluetooth one that. Uh, is also relatively cheap, but it works just fine with the monitor. I got this very cheap uh, portable mouse for it. I have this uh, power strip, but it turns out I don't really need it because it only needs one plug. I thought there might be more. So I was like, maybe I'll have okay. to bring a power strip along with me. Um, I bought this one going to return because I didn't need it. The motherboard has onboard Wi-Fi. I wasn't sure because in some of the reviews it said it didn't have onboard Wi-Fi, but the one I got did. Um, this, I got this for the front of the case, which is just sort of a, a little bit of an expansion thing. Okay. Uh, it has, 
a SATA port, two USB 3 and four USB 2 ports. Yeah, so it looks like Rosewell makes a thing that fits in the CD slot, mm -hmm. the CD drive bay, and gives you all the ports out the front. Yeah, and the internal card reader should like that, so you can get all of that. Mm -hmm. And that that's, was really to accommodate having essentially a hub right there on the machine without having to mm -hmm. do all this stuff, not having to go to the back just to get all mm -hmm. the USB connections. For sure. So, and then, yeah, the... Uh, I got these um these VR basically they're they're stands. They're just tripods, more or less, but right. um they're not designed for like holding a No, they're like lamp stands. Yeah, they're like lamp stands, right. So they're they're not as secure as say a tripod would be for mm -hmm. a camera. But the idea is simply to hold something up. Uh and that's for the sensors and it has a little um bag that it, you can carry into. So that that was nice to get. Uh a little wireless gaming headset that has 7.1 surround sound so you can have that although the Oculus has speakers on it so you don't need that but if you want to have like the full experience you can do it that way and it's the Oculus itself um was $500 for the Oculus and then the touch is $100 and then each additional sensor was like 60 bucks so I bought two even though you don't need you only need three so I have four sensors but that's good because I can at home like have it set up a room scale system and a at my desk system and I can switch yeah, I can between stuff. Them. Yeah, cool. Pretty neat. It is really neat. I've you know I've been playing with it. I have a lot. How's the porn? Um, effective. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it needs to be. Right. Not what I bought the system for, but yes, it 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 does the job. <laughs> the 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 games are are much more interesting and. He doesn't have good enough teledildonics, that's all. That is that is an important factor, right? I mean, you're you're basically watching a video, and that's it. And Shane was trying to convince me, because I talked to Shane about this, he was trying to convince me to, uh, to, to try the Japanese yard games. I was like, I do not like Japanese games in the least. <laughs> uh, there was some good stuff in our conversation. Where was it? Sorry, everybody. I'm doing some searching here. So he said... You gotta try one of the better executed porn games. And I was like, do I really? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I said, video is weird. There's no head tracking, so it feels like the chick is Godzilla size. I, I can see where you get, you know, you can you can get that. Mm -hmm. With a game, it's like you're there. And I responded, dot, 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 masturbating while pretending to fuck a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, one thing at a time, right? I mean... <laughs> no, let, me, let me start playing with the games first, and I'll get into the, the, the debauchery. <laughs> Uh, said Japan is a corner on the better ones. Uh, they take porn games seriously, and I was like, no, no Japanese games. I'm done with them. Uh, after I played Nier, and I was like, this game sucks, even though everyone's loving it the hell out of it. Japanese games have this weird thing of they they have a gameplay, 
uh, that is completely separate from the narrative. It, it, it's like uh, the the gameplay and the narratives exist on different planes. So, like you're watching a movie, and then it breaks into like this mini game or something. And... It, it, it's more like the the narrative doesn't fit with the gameplay that you're playing. So, um, the this, this game Nier Automata is essentially a a mix between a uh, a fighting game and a bullet hell shooter. One of those R type games, mm-hmm. which is about a lot of bullets mm-hmm. And the story is about these is about this philosophical thing about being meaning and existence. <laughs> it's it's so jarring when it tries to go in between them and doesn't justify either one. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. the the gameplay doesn't justify the the story. The story doesn't justify the gameplay. It's just there are stretches between and and it very. This is a, a Japanese kind of style. There's those JRPGs where you have these you know tactical based. Uh, attacking system that interrupts you essentially on a quest from going to one spot to another to you know save the princess or something like that the the word for it i believe is ludo narrative non-syncricity <laughs> ludo narrative being referring to games and, and narrative and then the mm-hmm. there there's not a there's not a synchronicity between the the narrative and the game you play itself. Uh, an example of where that really worked well, I believe, is in Horizon Zero Dawn, this game I just played, where it takes its time and finds a way to justify the ridiculous aspects of gameplay, that you have arrows and you're a sort of proto-cave um, girl type situation, but you're fighting metal dinosaurs. Uh, and it takes the time to... It didn't have to, but... Mm-hmm it takes the time to justify each of those situations. So it's not, it's not just out of the, out of bounds, completely absurd. It's just really absurd. It's just, it, it, it's just like, okay, at least you're mentioning the fact that this is, you know, this is happening and you're giving some justification for why it is the case. Justification that you can in that, works with the story the story doesn't and and the story and the and the presentation don't conflict that's very nice Mm -hmm. so anyway back to the japanese games and porn uh he said i was talking about that and how you know i don't like necessarily the the, the mix of gameplay with the storyline and he said well japanese the porn games aren't really about the gameplay (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like well i mean sure but I, I bought the gaming machine to play games. I didn't buy it to get two thousand dollar jackoff machine. Yeah, he says. Uh, Turns out I can do both. And I said, well, my vacuum can also be used as a condenser, but my refrigerator is a lot better at it. I, I want, <laughs> I, I want the, uh, I want to use it for you know the reason I got it. And yeah, when, when I'm going to go through periods, it's just like anything else. I'm going to like love it for six weeks and then I'm going to drop it and do something else for a while and then I'm going to go back to it. It's This is the... You don't just get to something and then you're like, okay, well, yeah. I'm going to do this. This is my thing for the rest of time. <laughs> <laughs> Still on the 3D printing pretty hot and heavy. Um, I was... What was it? I was, I was down for two days this past week. I tried to print... You know those... Um, plant water things, those little glass balls, you know, with the tube and stuff, you put it in, you stick it in the soil, yep. and it dr- leaks in the soil. So I was printing some of those out, because Heather got some flying, hanging uh, plants out front, and, you know, she's not a gardener, so 
Shulfur gets watered for a day or two. <laughs> the plant's practically dead. So I figured I'd print those, but I miscalculated how tall it was. So the thing ran up against the top, and I didn't have time to re get everything re-leveled because it, it got out of kilter. But uh, I don't know. Yesterday I got it back in order and started printing your vectors and yes. finished those today. Actually, I had a couple... Again, it wasn't quite aligned right. I had like three uh, failures where they came detached from the build plate. Uh, you know, mm. I just didn't have it level enough and it wasn't adhering to the glass enough. But, you know, after after three failures, I had it tuned in. I do want to, you know, try out, like part of my plumb is already broke. So I want to get uh, the, the rubber. Yeah. Um uh, I said I would buy the filament for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, show, I'll tell you which one to get. Um, I was going to bring the the thing I printed for Max, that Snorlax. Um, it's upstairs. Maybe I'll grab it later if I can. I don't know if I'll be able to find his room in the dark, though. But, I mean, it's really pliable stuff. Mm -hmm. And the printer printed it fine. It, it it didn't mess up the first time, but then the second time I printed it like, at 2 Did you have speed. to get the, the new tip for it, or did you? Uh, it's not the tip. Um, what I had to do was I had to take a piece of Teflon tubing and kind of put it in there right below the feeder gear to give it more rigidity. Because once it's on the bottom side of the feeder gear, there's pressure on it, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's pushing into the hot end and there's hot ends pushing back, it wants to squirt out the side. Mm -hmm. So I put this Teflon tube in there to keep to make the tolerance so little that it can't squirt out the side. Gotcha. That's kind of what I had to do to do the the um, uh, flexible filament, but it printed great. I don't have to get. They, there's a company that sells. It's called Flexion. It sells a hot end for flexible filaments, you know, and it's a hundred and forty dollar hot end type <laughs> thing, you know. So it does not seem like I'm going to require that. Cool. Although the plumbus is a big thing, so maybe I don't think it'll matter. Um, back to the, the porn thing. <laughs> Uh, I was saying, you know, here, oh yeah, this this is the quote that I lo that I love for myself so much that I, I commented on afterwards. Said because uh, after the the vacuum thing, I said, after all, all you really need is a hand, some tissues, and a dream. And I said, put that on a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> some lubricant's nice, <laughs> but I'm saying all you really need. <laughs> I suppose you don't even technically need the tissues. Or the dream. <laughs> yeah, nice to have. But yeah. Not I, necessary. I suppose. Suppose it could be a simply a mechanical thing, but yeah. there there has to be some element to get you Tinalidium. excited enough to, to I mean you can't do it when, when things are floppy. Yeah, I think uh the right manipulation can so I can suppose, overcome many things. I suppose. Um, and James was like, if you apply that philosophy to games, I'll sell you a notebook and a piece of paper, not even a novel, just a blank notebook. And my response was, well, that's the point. I can get it for cheap. So unless you're selling it for cheaper, I don't necessarily <laughs> want to get involved with that, the nonsense. <laughs> uh, and my other response was, jerking off to a, a VR Japanese game implies a whole lot of effort and opportunity costs on my part, and it really doesn't sound worth it. So that's basically uh, where that thing in. I said, when I find myself interested in Japanese VR porn, I will definitely talk to you first. <laughs> <laughs> Can you translate these reviews for me, please? 
Um, that was a fun conversation, but it was uh, <laughs> right. The 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 potential of VR is is fascinating, and it is still in its very early stages. So you're playing games, and you're playing games that are exploring the space, and they're not perfect mm-hmm. games. But you're I'm getting in sort of on the ground floor of, of something interesting, just like the three uh, D printing is. You know, not perfect. There's things it can't do. There's uh, things you want it to be able to do, but you're not able to do yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're getting in the round four. You're exploring yep. the space. So that's what I'm doing with the VR machine. It's cool. So tell me about your camping trip. Camping trip. It was fun. It was, I mean, nothing too exciting, but a uh, good time. We went to a relatively close campground, Raccoon Creek State Park. It's over near um, uh, Burgettstown, you know, not too far from where the amphitheater is. Uh, Oh, the... Key Bank Pavilion is what it's called today. Oh, jeez. It keeps changing names. It used to be Star Lake Amphitheater for the longest time. That's what we grew up with it being. That was a post-cadet. It was before that. But the original name and the name that it had before it had corporate sponsorship was Star Lake Amphitheater. Mm. And uh, so it wasn't. it's not too far from there. Uh, so aside from the run-of-the-mill relaxing camping stuff, they have some pretty good uh, nature programs over there, the the park naturalist and whatnot. So Saturday morning we went to one uh, kind of targeted for kids, but you know for adults as well. It was called Nature's Nasties, and it was like all the bad things. Oh, that's great for kids woods. because if you tell kids, "Oh, look at this," they're gonna be bored. They take about, "Oh, this can kill you." <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So we it was like a mile and a half walk. So it was a short walk. And it was poison ivy, stinging nettle, and, you know, that just makes your imagination go crazy mm-hmm. when you hear stinging nettle and don't realize it's a plant or anything at the point. Or, you know, <laughs> or what you imagine is this plant's going to, like, throw spikes yes. at you. <laughs> Actually, I had the kids afterwards, you know, draw what you what a stinging nettle sounds like, mm-hmm. you know. But the thing is, they had already seen the plant, so they weren't yes. being very imaginative at that point. Uh, ticks, chiggers, snakes, that kind of thing. Only got to really see the stinging nettle in the in the um, poison ivy. There, there's. They didn't have any snakes or chiggers or ticks. In <laughs> it's funny because I because I was just watching a video on that, which is what, where the 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 kids thing came from. Actually, was a line from the guys in there. It was on the the poison garden. Okay. In some some castle in England, but. Uh, the they develop you know it's, it's just basically this garden full of plants that are dangerous that that will that can kill you okay um like uh the the beans that make ricin for example are there mm-hmm. but there's also plants that are just like if you eat them you will die mm-hmm. deadly nightshade uh there's plants that if you touch them you will die uh get to oil on on them okay. and give you three you know third degree burns and stuff oh like wow that. Cool. so yeah. So the uh, the park naturalist Shane, he was a um, pretty good communicator. It was funny at first when we first walked into the building, he was kind of just doing some talking to the crowd, but not yet into his program. And he came across as two things: a bit of a know-it-all and not a very good communicator, mm. like too nerdy to know how to communicate. Is how he came across at first. But then you know, once we got into the hike, either I got used to his style, or he was better at it. 
I can't tell which, but I thought he was an excellent communicator. I thought he did an excellent job. Uh, Allie loved it. You know, Allie's even more short. She wants to be a naturalist now than before. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, that was cool. And, you know, it was cool that they still enjoyed it, even though there was no snakes there, you know, and and all you saw was stinging nettle and poison ivy. But, uh, oh, we did see a baby snapping turtle. We've, one of those was on the path. So we got to look at the baby, but he's only about this long. Yeah, they are about three inches. They are tiny little baby turtles. Mm hmm. And, uh, you know, they both liked it. And then, um, then one night, uh, at the campground, there's an amphitheater and one of the other naturalists, they have a program for like the campsite. And because the, the other one was just for the park, it was about bald eagles. So, you know, like how much they've come back since the seventies and the Pennsylvania programs and whatnot. So, um, kids enjoyed that a little bit, but there was more talking and less walking mm. and stuff. So, you know, it wasn't as fun as the, the. That nature's nasties, but uh, it was cool. They had a, um, you know, they don't have any bald eagle stuff there because it's illegal for the state to own anything. It has to be federally uh, regulated. Feathers, anything. If you're not Native American or a federal agent, you can't have an eagle feather. Hmm. Um, but they had a, um, a stuffed osprey there, and it looked pretty real. When I first walked around the bend for an instant, I thought she had a live hawk or something. <laughs> On a perch, you know, <laughs> it looked really real. And then, uh, you know, so they enjoyed looking at that real close. And did they, the presentation, did they have a bald eagle there with them? No, 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 no eagle. Uh, there was a video that they played about the restoration, the Pennsylvania restoration program and how like in, at the beginning, when I think it was 1990, there was only three known breeding pairs in the state. And now there's like 270 breeding pairs in the state. Quite a genetic bottleneck there. <laughs> they brought in eagles from Saskatchewan. Ah. They didn't breed them up from the three. They brought eagles in from Saskatchewan. And they had to do, they were, they brought chicks in. And then they have to, they had to do this thing where they call it hacking. I don't know if it has anything to do with the hacking we're familiar with. I don't think it does. But they had to build this roost where they could feed the eagles without the eagles seeing that humans were providing the food because they didn't want to imprint that humans mm-hmm. right. provide food. And uh, that's so that's one of the ways they brought the eagles into the state. They, it's it's sort of, the, I mean, it's like the life hacking concept, right? It's you're taking advantage of, of, of how things think. Yeah. I mean, the, the process of raising the, the chicks that way was called hacking. Uh, they didn't get into the entomology of why they called it hacking. Hacking is mostly social yeah. engineering after all. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Seems like it's probably more of a coincidence from our point of view. <laughs> I mean, you know, because what naturalist is going to think yeah. this is like computer hacking in 1990, you know? So, um, or like social engineering in 1990. I, I don't know. But, who knows? Yeah. yeah, who knows? But so, I mean, that was cool. I enjoyed the video. It wasn't a super well produced video. It's something, you know, that, uh, state uh department of conservation natural resources does so stiff actors bad music bad sounds fun awful audio but it was informative and uh what else did we do hung out ellie went fishing one morning cut two two little fish that's about it but it was just it's nice to get away i did go to uh helicon brewing 
because we weren't too far from it, so we went there to have some beers. How was it? It was good. I mean, I think they're still they're still fixing a couple things. Like they have their, I don't know if that's the one they. I don't think I don't think they call this one the Northeast IPA, but it was kind of a citra mosaic, bit cloudy, and they the one the one they had two. They had the one that's they're running out of, which was like fifty fifty, and it was coming across really kind of garlicky. And then they did one which was much more citra than mosaic. And that one was coming across a lot more like what you're looking for. It had a lot more of the mango, which seems a little bit counterintuitive from what we think. The one that had too much mosaic was garlicky. I guess it, I mean, the other thing you have to remember is that hops are an agricultural product, right? So they they do change. Mm -hmm. So, And I don't know how many farms mosaic is coming from. It might not be sourced from the same farm. But yeah, so there for theirs, they had to dial back the mosaic and boost the citra to get the mango-y type flavors. So that was an interesting because it was kind of like a, you know, opposite of what mm-hmm. my gut would have said. Yeah, my gut would have said, "Let's go in on the mosaic and <laughs> dial back." Because I mean, from my experience, I, I think of a lot of citra can get oniony. Yep. Yeah. But it, you know, it's that thing where you have this ideal conception of, of mm-hmm. the hop in your head, but that doesn't necessarily it isn't the, the real world. Their, so, their oatmeal stout was probably my favorite beer. It was really well done. That's good to hear. That reminds me of a question I had. Um, the one beer that I see a lot on shelves is Rivertown. Never had a good one of theirs in a bar. I But I see them everywhere. So I was at Double Wide a couple months ago. Probably close to six months ago. And waitress brought me the wrong beer. She brought me White Lightning. Turned out it was really good. Okay. But I didn't order it, and I haven't ordered it since, but it was really good. It, uh, and the White Lightning is a wit beer for the people listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I would say try the White Lightning. Um, yeah, but for some you know, I just I wonder. They're not a go to for me either. The, the, the question that I'm wondering is I'm wondering if they're playing the Wirebacher game, which is get shit out there, get distribution, and then make your beers better. Don't. Focus on the quality first. Focus <laughs> on distribution first. Then get your stuff into a decent quality. I'm not sure that was Weyerbacher's business plan. It turned out what it's what they did. <laughs> it's what they did. I mean, but they got distribution bef- I mean, before we were even into the game. Right. So it's hard to know exactly how that... A lot of it, it was a completely different world. Too. A, lot, a lot of it was on the fact that they made just a lot of high alcohol beers. Well, there was that, yeah. I mean, everyone knew Blithering Idiot. If no one, people, that was kind of the thing where people knew of a beer named Blithering Idiot but didn't know who made it. Mm-hmm. Um, but think about. Well, they had the same problem that you talked about before, where all their beers tasted the same. There was, you know, less than ten craft breweries in Pennsylvania yeah. at that point too. So I mean, it was pretty easy to get wider distribution. You know, you know, Vicini here in pittsburgh area was just looking for you know they they realized craft was going to be noteworthy early enough that they signed trogues and victory and mm-hmm. weyerbacher and y- yards uh, maybe they don't have yards but you know they were the guys bringing in much of that pennsylvania craft beer from you know that predated us so but I keep thinking, man, I wish there was more roundabout. And, that, and that's a, that, could, that could be part of it, too, thinking of the Weyerbacher thing. They, because of the way Vicini was going after certain Pennsylvania breweries, Weyerbacher might have been more extended here, more available here than... We might have had an impression that they were more omnipresent mm-hmm. than they were. 
fair. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something I would consider when I'm pondering the whole thing. But, it, you know, it, it, it seems like that might be a good strategy in that you get out there and then as long as you're out there and people know you. Yeah, I mean, then... they're the most marketed. I mean, they, they sponsor the Pirates. Like, they're available at the mm-hmm. stadium. So they're playing the marketing game more than most. Yeah, and it's not always the case. In fact, it's kind of rarely the case where the the most marketing dollars is being spent on the best product. Um, it yeah. happens for a while. Apple was the best product. Now it's now I think you could make the argument that that's not a, the case anymore. But um, for a while, the Apple PCs were the best PCs, and the Apple phones were the best phones. Um, and the Apple marketing was the best marketing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it, it works. Sometimes it yeah, not so much. <laughs> Sorry about that. What else? What else? What else? Well, the as you mentioned before, the Penguins are, are in the Stanley Cup Finals again. Again, yeah, yeah. That's uh, three, four times in the last ten years or so. So now you know how um... Yankees feel. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's uh, you know, because yeah, everyone around the country hates the Penguins. Pretty much, they, yeah. Especially Sidney Crosby, yeah. which which is weird because everyone likes the Steelers. It's not that there's there's a weird like the Steelers have even though they're very successful, they have a giant fan base, and there aren't. I mean, there are people who dislike the Steelers, but I see much more of a presence of people who like the Steelers versus people who don't like the Steelers. Yeah, you don't see much Steeler hate. You don't you don't hear about it. Right. Where I mean, the Penguin hate. Sidney Crosby is universally disliked, but penguin hate is. I, th- I think that it's more. There's certain cities nearby that really hate them. You know, Washington, right? Philadelphia. This is standard York, rivalry stuff. Yeah. yeah, the rivalry stuff, and you know, especially like well, you know, Washington. Just we, we, you know, we we smack them around. You know, every year it seems. So we keep using we, that word. Yes, we. I know. I know they. <laughs> The team that resides in the city that I live. Right. Which you root for the uniforms. Yeah. Why do they hate Sidney Crosby? What would he do? Crosby. Um, well, it's, you know, he's, he's good, so it's easy to dislike the guy that's messing with your team a lot, but he had a reputation of being a crybaby. Okay. So it's sort of a... Mm, trying to think of, of... I mean, I was... Like, People hated Derek Jeter, but they didn't really hate him. They were just like, "Oh, he's he's good, good, pretty boy." Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. So, and like, no one hated. I mean, I think this is Crosby's. 12th. But people hate Alex Rodriguez, and they have good reason to. But no I mean, one hated Mariano Rivera because he was just good and awesome and super like super likable. So, okay. like, no one hated. No one hated um, Tony Gwynn. He was awesome. He could hurt you. He could hurt your team, but you just like the guy. He he was just a good guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you'd have to ask someone who hates Sidney Crosby. But I think the it seems like the reputation of being crybaby comes around a lot. He's been in the league for twelve seasons now, and and it seems like he's mostly kicked. You know, he doesn't complain mm-hmm. anymore. He just scores. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Um, I guess I, I have some some interesting stuff, but I can wait till the post show for that. I don't really have any any big sciencey things. I can talk about some broad sciencey stuff. There are some interesting discoveries that happened recently. Okay. Uh, new, Sounds good. New gravitational wave stuff. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing crazy. Uh, I don't have any like. I if you have some curious curiosities, I can. <laughs> uh, that would actually be cool if, if you give me something to like to research to research something that I don't quite know about that I can try to you know figure out the answer to. If you have any of those hmm. questions, well, I'll think about it while we were drinking beers. Uh. Of, of the science thing, I've been uh, refreshing my memory and uh, looking at, you know, like the, the current state of CRISPR. Oh, yeah. So CRISPR is super cool. It has, she has such huge promise. And I was trying to look to see if, like, the promise is still there. You know, that's the kind of thing I was trying to as see. As far as I know, yes. As far as yeah. I know, uh, CRISPR is... Uh, so CRISPR, for those who don't know, is... Um, it's, it's an acronym for something. It has to do with using... Um, with basically editing a DNA strand. Yeah, so I, I can get into the, the background here mm-hmm. since I've been thinking about it and you can add color as necessary. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a tool to cut out a bad piece of DNA and the part of the methodology is to put in a good piece of DNA there. So, like, it has the promise of if you could find the genetic marker for Downs, you could use CRISPR to cut out the Downs gene and have a good copy of that mm-hmm. gene put in place. They're not doing anything that complicated yet, but that's what it can do. But where it came from is really fascinating story. So there were people doing a research on bacterial DNA, and they would see these segments where there would be these repeats in it where it would have this um, this code which would be the P in CRISPR is palindromic. So it has about this repeating thing, yeah. but uh, the, so like think of like, if I just go beep, you know, that's the repeating thing. So that like beep, boop, beep, beep, mm-hmm. beep, boop. And then, so they were, they saw these repeating things and, but they didn't know what this bit of DNA between the repeats was where each one was different. And when there was enough genetic information in searchable databases, for research, they realized that this DNA matched stuff from viruses. And what they hypothesized and what, I don't know what the current state is, whether it's proved to be true or, you know, somewhere in there, but the hypothesis to to truth somewhere in there was that it was a defense mechanism for bacteria to better identify uh, viruses. Kind of like how when you get immunity to a virus in Mm -hmm. your body and it's, a more complex system, but your immune system, your white blood cells, um, have that memory of the previous virus and can use that to, to make the right weapon to fight off the virus. Right. I, I know, or at least I believe this is the case. Again, not, not biologists, not geneticists, just stuff that I yeah, picked up that a lot of the stuff we use to call junk, junk DNA is there storage yeah storage pieces of viruses from the ancient past like things mm-hmm. that, that have been just accumulated in dna because they are yeah they or, are or were at some point uh used as a pattern to say okay you, you know make yeah. this so the way defense. crispr works is the bacteria secrete have an enzyme and the enzyme will look at the dna of the virus 
and it'll compare it against its CRISPR part of the DNA. And when it sees a match of that thing between the beeps, it will snip the DNA right there. So it has these scissors, mm-hmm. right? So, and this is just the way the virus. So the virus figured out how to store memory of these virus, or the, the bacteria learned how to store the imprint of these viruses in DNA. And then they were able to make this enzyme that would cut the DNA I at that point. Just for the purpose of, of clarification, I think what you're saying is exactly right, but I want to point out that learned is we're using sort of human terms yeah, here. Yeah, sure. Yes. But they evolved to, to be able no, to I mean, it, it's but, fine, but I just yeah. want to you know, make sure yeah. there's no confusion. So they have this memory in their DNA of, mm-hmm. like, and when I say memory, I'm talking more like computer storage memory, right, yeah. where you saved a file, mm-hmm. and now... Yeah. And now you can, it's just, they, they nature used... It's a pattern that can... That nature can used DNA to store this information as mm-hmm. opposed to magnetic hard drives. Right. Uh, so the enzyme cuts DNA, and that is enough to kill the virus. What researchers have figured out is, and it's much more complicated than what I'm about to explain, because, but basically, if you put the enzyme with your CRISPR gene to look for downs... If you flood the area with good DNA fragments of clean genes, they'll reattach. So it'll cut out the bad mm-hmm. DNA and put in the good DNA, and the thing will like reattach. And that's the promise of CRISPR. Right. Where you can, as long as you know the genetic code to do what you want to do, you can cut out the bad one and then have a probability of the good one getting attached. And The analogy is, is kind of to old school editing where you had a roll of tape. And you would mm-hmm. slice it and then put in new pieces. Yep. Uh, and that is roughly what they're trying to do. They're just using, instead of using, you know, very tiny microscopes and little lasers and stuff, they're using the mechanics of uh, enzymes and, and stuff like that that have been developed over the course of billions of years of evolution. And they're just taking it, so researchers are basically taking advantage of uh, these compounds that already existed and that they're doing this amazing chemistry that we do not have the ability to do and there's on our level two two main two main american organizations that are have patents on crispr and that's stanford university and jennifer doudna and then the broad institute has uh, was awarded a patent as well uh different techniques is what the patents are for and that's about as much detail as i get into on the difference on the patents but uh, it's just really fascinating stuff. I mean, the promise, it's going to take a long time to have, be able to do such a big uh, lift as something as important as a debilitating, you know, genetic disease right. and replacing that. But, you know, there's a visible path on how to do that now. Yeah, and I would recommend this this week this thursday was in our time episode on enzymes which was fantastic and oh, okay lots of stuff i had no idea about um that learned a whole lot and, and like made me think man i wish i knew more about chemistry because this is fascinating <laughs> so definitely recommend that one of the places that i got most of that CRISPR info from for the listeners i know you're not gonna listen to it because it's radio lab <laughs> but there's there's two Radiolab podcasts on CRISPR. There's one that came with the original broadcast probably about a year and a half, two years ago. And then there's one probably about six months old where they kind of did an update, right? It was right after the patent stuff came out. So maybe four months ago, three months ago, uh, there was an update. And they rebroadcast some of it, but I don't think it was the whole story. So I would recommend going to find the first one 
about CRISPR. And then you can, you know, listen to the second one as well to kind of get the update. Uh, and that, but hopefully you don't learn much. I think I did a pretty good job of explaining it. But they, they, they weave, they weave a more uh, interesting story. That's their, that's <laughs> yes. their gig. Um, the, the, so I did want to show you this video because it's sort of something that I found th- this week is sort of very interesting. Uh, which somebody else could, uh, you could search on YouTube for the evolution of bacteria on a mega plate petri dish. This is a just two minute video, but it shows evolution in action. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, so there's actually sound to go with it, but I don't know if you have me turned up. So what we ended up building was basically a Petri dish, except that it's two feet by four feet. And the way we set it up is that there are nine bands, and at the base of each of these bands, we put a normal Petri dish thick agar with different amounts of antibiotic. On the outside, there's no antibiotic. Just in from that... So for those who aren't watching, it looks kind of like a football field of sorts. The end zones have no antibiotic. And there are a bunch of lines in between. There's barely more than the E. coli can survive. Inside of that, there's 10 times as much, 100 times, and then finally the middle band has 1,000 times as much antibiotic. And then across the top of it, pour some thin agar that bacteria can move around in. The background is black because there's ink in it, and the bacteria appear as white. First, you see they spread in they the colonize. area where there's no antibiotic. Yeah, they colonize the, the clean area pretty quickly. They start from the edges, they rush out, and then they hit this barrier where they can't spread because they're getting right. massacred by the antibiotic. the point they can no longer survive. Then a mutant appears on the right. It's resistant to the antibiotic. It spreads <laughs> until it starts to compete with other mutants around it. When these mutants hit the next boundary, they too have to pause and develop new mutations to make it into 10 times as much antibiotic. And then you see the different mutants repeat this at 100. Looks like fluid dynamics almost. It's... Yeah. And after about 11 days, they finally make it into 1,000 times as much antibiotic as the wild type can survive. And so we can see by this process of accumulating successive mutations that bacteria, which are normally sensitive to an antibiotic, can evolve resistance to extremely high concentrations in a short... So anyway, that that was just a fascinating, like... I mean, the thing I'm most curious about is uh, how uh, how many times, how many mutants were successful. Mm-hmm. So, like, on the first tier, it looks like they're only showing the main ones. On the first tier, it looks like there was only they, three, they, they put a notograph on, on top of it yeah. afterwards so you can sort of see the, the generations and how they developed. And you can see that... Well, look at the bottom one. It, it, it failed. It didn't make it past... Right. Right, so there's one on here that just wasn't able to get, you know, was outcompeted by this guy. Oh, the top one that was outcompeted too. Mm-hmm. So the center guy is the one that ultimately, you know, got into the thousands fastest. What what probably happened is that whatever developed along here was useful enough going forward, mm-hmm. and and it was also useful at you know outcompeting the other. Things. And there may have been some mixing along these lines, right? I mean, you don't, you don't know for sure. This is sort of a yeah. more high-level look. But on the other side, so yeah, you have actually three 
different generations that that uh, made it through, or at least made it. Yeah, he made it through here. On this side, only one, only one uh, mm-hmm. generation from the first one that made it through the end. But it's, it, I thought it was, you know it's a perfect example. If you want to say you know watch evolution happen, well there it is. But I didn't see any monkeys changing to people. Yeah, that's right. The, the, these are still E. coli bacteria at the end of the day. <laughs> that's really cool. I like it. I like it too. Cool. All right, on to beer. On to beer. 